I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. What's going on, everybody? Happy Wednesday. There's a lot of questions floating around at the moment. Some of them I just genuinely can't answer. Some of them I've probably attempted to answer and most likely butchered the replies. So I thought that I'd bring in somebody that, in my opinion, is one of the smartest basketball minds around. Um, he's very well known to all of you Celtics fans and somebody that I'm very fortunate to call a friend and a colleague. So I brought on Mr. Keith Smith to help us kind of figure out exactly what the lay of the land is now that the Campbell Walker and Al Horford trade has the dust has settled and we can start looking a bit more towards the future. Thanks for joining me today, Keith. Uh, thanks for having me, Adam. That, that intro is far too kind, um, but I'll take it. Uh, you know, boost the ego here in the morning for me. I'll take that. I mean, I shouldn't be the only one boosting your ego. Man. <laughs> you know what I mean? You do far too much work for Celtics fans, for people not to be singing your praises daily. Nah, it's all good, man. It's a labor of love. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I feel that. So I've got a couple of questions kind of marked down and then I'm sure we'll kind of spiral into others as they pop up into my head. But this is very much to just give the listeners a way of knowing exactly what's going, what's possible, what's not possible, likelihoods of outcomes and everything. And I think the best place to start is potential sign and trade candidates and what the hard cap would mean for this team this year and why that would be possible or why the team will likely steer clear of doing that and limiting their ability to maneuver yeah sure so we're talking the Lonzo Ball question right that I'm sure we both get uh multiple times a day um (laughs) is that is that the number one guy in your mentions too constantly and I feel bad because (laughs) last year it was me that was putting his name out and nobody wanted to listen and now he's just become this number one name being thrown around and I'm just like Maybe I had a hand in this, and I'm very sorry. <laughs> yeah, well, last year it was it was a lot more possible um, to to make happen because he would have just been acquired by a regular trade. But but yeah, this is the challenge with the Celtics. Um, as we all learned uh, this past year, or should have learned, the hard cap is a real barrier to building out your team. And in the way a team becomes hard cap, there's one of three ways. Um, one is acquiring a player via sign and trade. Uh, it's using the biannual exception, or it is, and that's any part of the biannual exception, or it's using the non-taxpayer mid-level exception at an amount that's at least equal to the taxpayer mid-level. So I know that last one's a little confusing, but that's what hard capped the Celtics last year. They use the entire uh mid-level exception on Tristan Thompson. But even if you had used about 5.6 million or so of it, um, that would have hard capped them as well. So so there's kind of a gro- growing uh, thought out there is well, once you're going to be past the hard cap, you might as well, uh, you know, uh, you use all, or once you're going to be hard capped, you might as well use the spend as much as you can up to the hard cap. Hard cap is, it's a number that is a fixed number called the tax apron. It's about six-ish million or so, uh, six and a half million above the luxury tax amount. So for this coming season, the tax projects to be 136.6 million, and the hard cap expect projects to be about 143 million. Um, so saying all that, the challenge for the Celtics is even after the Kemba Walker trade, right now they are about 14 million under the hard cap. That's great. 
that's a ton of wiggle room. They're actually about about seven point nine million under the tax as a whole. But let's assume a big chunk of that was, as Brad Stevens said multiple times in the uh, post trade press conference, it was about flexibility and giving the team more paths and all those things. So let's let, let's assume a chunk of that money is is being marked to re-sign Evan Fournier, and I kind of hope it is because otherwise that trade last year starts to look a lot more questionable. So if they're going to re-sign Evan Fournier, and, and the number I've been using just as a rough is about $17 million in starting salary, because that seems to be about his approximate value around the league. So let's just say it's $17 million. Well, all right, so that's going to take you back over the tax by about $9 million, but you'll still have, um, you know, you, you'd still have a little bit of um, – of wiggle room, uh, you know, with the, with the apron there. Right. So, um, or I guess, no, yeah, they'd take you back over the apron. Uh, excuse me. I apologize for misspeaking. So now you're not hard capped though. So you can keep spending, you can keep doing all your things, but this is where doing a sign and trade becomes really difficult because you, you're not going to do a sign and trade for a player and also re-sign Evan Fournier unless you're sending out significant money in a sign-and-trade, which I suppose that is possible to, to do. But that's where it starts to get really complicated in all these pieces. So uh, the very um, long answer that I'm giving to your very simple question is sign-and-trades are probably off the table simply because it would hard cap the team, and all this flexibility they've sought to create would kind of go out the window. Unless they're sending significant money out in that sign and trade, and then maybe that's the direction they go. So, if we operate in a vacuum under an assumption that they send out maybe Marcus Smart in a sign and trade, so you're saving the salary from Marcus Smart and you're offsetting it against the salary that you're signing Glanzo Ball to, which we we can assume would be what about sixteen million a year? Yeah, probably in that range ish, maybe a little higher. And then, so you're realistically then only spending that six million, right, or four million, whatever, however you want to split it down. What does that give the Boston Celtics um, left to be able to maneuver? Because, as you say, um, re-signing Fournier wouldn't happen in that situation. So, would they still be able to round out their roster, or would they be very limited to players that are going to be on minimum deals? Yeah, no, I'm. I mean. So you could do if you sent out Smart. So Smart's at fourteen point three million, and let's just use Lonzo as the example. And let's let's use your number. Well, let's say it was sixteen million. Let's say it was even just a little bit higher than sixteen million, just because I'm trying to make math easy on myself here. Um, you you you'd be taking on two million in additional salary. So in that world, now what's good for the Celtics is. You can get to where you need to be and still re-sign Evan Fournier and stay under the hard cap because at that point what you're looking at is you waive Jabari Parker. Uh, that frees up $2.3 million by itself. You could waive Moses Brown. That would save you know, $1.7 million. Or you could waive, waive, uh, trade away Carson Edwards uh, with you know, a pick or something just to get him completely off the books. And that saves you $1.8 million. So there's paths for the Celtics. But – each one of those moves then opens an additional roster spot that you're going to have to fill. So that's just to get you to even. And when you're hard capped, there's nothing you you can't go over the hard cap by even one dollar. 
um, or it just it, it's not allowed. So you you've got to operate you know right right there. So what that becomes uh, for the Celtics is it makes it far more difficult to fill out the roster because at that point you're looking at our right, well we resigned Fournier, uh, we brought in Ball, but we lost Smart. So now we're sitting at two open roster spots. But just to pull that off we then have to probably open up a third roster spot to do that. And that's where it becomes really kind of tricky now uh, to put all this together. So I, my guess is acquiring a player via sign and trade is probably out. But what this does do is open the door to re-sign Fournier and then maybe possibly use a good chunk of the mid-level exception and potentially if they wiped out, you know, another salary or two, use the entire mid-level exception, which is, you know, not impossible, but but again, gets a little tricky because again, that would also hard cap the team. So so they've got more flexibility, more optionality now. But yeah, sign and trade specifically, I don't think that's going to be on the table. And just to clarify, because I know this is a question that'll get asked to me when people listen. When you say you cannot go above the the hard cap, that does include bird rights or any form of exceptions, right? Like that is the stone wall. No matter everything else becomes null and void once you're hard. Yeah, that is the only version of a hard cap that the NBA has. Everything else is a soft cap. That's that's how you have a teams like the Warriors and the Nets being you know fifty million into luxury tax because. They, they can go over because it's a soft cap. But if you're hard capped, it is hard and fast. You cannot go past it. Uh, the, the Lakers this year were a perfect example. They had to time their last couple of signings up uh, perfectly to be able to add those players because they, they had such limited wiggle room under the hard cap this past season. And this was a point that I kind of had a discussion with on green room earlier this week was that if the Celtics were ever going to put them in this, themselves in a position to become hard capped via a sign and trade or via using a four mid level exception, it would most likely be the last move they made. They'd make all their other moves first. So they felt like their roster was set and then they would go ahead and hard cap themselves. Is that a road that's feasible? Do you see that being a possibility at all? Yeah, it kind of depends because the challenge with a guy like, um, like if you were going to do it with the Lonzo Ball side, is what 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 gets messy there is how long are the Pelicans willing to wait if it was going to be a sign and trade? Um, so anytime you're going to do something like that, that becomes you know real tricky. But if you're just signing a free agent, yeah, what we see regularly in the NBA in the off season is you'll see a deal reported. You know, player X is signing for three years. You know, twenty you know or thirty million dollars. Um, and what, what will happen is um, we'll know, okay, they're giving him the mid-level exception in order to do that. But what we end up you know, seeing is, all right, they're going to time everything out so that the, when they finally do this, this is the last thing that they do. Um, this comes in very much so with teams that are um, using cap space. Uh, if we remember back a, a few years ago when Boston landed Gordon Hayward and then they signed Aaron Baines, Aaron Baines was the last player that they signed because you signed him using the room exception. So you don't you can go over the cap um, using that exception, but if you use it while you still have cap space available, then it applies to the cap to the cap space. So they did everything else and then made that move. Uh, they did a similar thing a couple years ago when they added Kemba Walker um, because what they did was they they um, 
signed Carson Edwards uh, using cap space. Then they went and got Walker using the rest of their cap space, plus the sign and trade of Terry Rozier. And then they filled out the roster after that. So, yeah, you t- teams are smart. They, they'll get the contract agreed to. Then you figure out the order of operations and the sequencing from there because that all does matter quite a bit. And we'll stick on contracts for a moment because one that's caused a bit of confusion amongst um, Celtics fans. Some people think that next year, um, so we're talking about Al Horford here with a partially guaranteed <laughs> deal. I know where you're going too. <laughs> yeah, some people have sp- I've spoke to or I've seen on social media um, stating that, oh, hey, he's only getting $14.5 million next year. Now, my understanding, and please correct me if I'm wrong because it's always good to learn, especially um, from somebody that deals with cap like you, is that that $14.5 million is only partially guaranteed up to a certain point and if he remains on the team for the whole year then the full amount of that contract is payable and if they waive him they are liable for that partially guaranteed amount is that correct yeah so what it is with Al Horford and so this is not this coming season this coming season fully guaranteed at 27 million uh, this is for the 2022-23 season he is on the books right now for 26.5 million but only 14.5 million of that is guaranteed. So if the Celtics waive him at any point between now and, and uh, then, uh, now and then we can get into what the dates look like. Um, you know, after it'll be that's what they would be on the the books, the the hook for rather on the books is 14.5 million. Now that jumps to 19.5 million if the Celtics or whichever team Horford is on. So this has added a lot of confusion because the way people keep seeing it is because he signed it with Philadelphia, people are going back to that old reporting of when he signed and saying, no, it's if Philadelphia is in the NBA finals, it's not It transfers to whatever team he's currently on. So if the Celtics make the NBA finals in 2022, Horford gets guaranteed 19.5 million. If they win the finals in the 2022 season, then he gets fully guaranteed at 26.5 million, or it fully guarantees on the league-wide guarantee date of January 10th of 2023 um, is when that would go. So, so you've got kind of four different benchmarks to keep in mind. 14.5 is the minimum that he's going to get. Nineteen point five if Boston makes the finals in 2022, uh, or the full amount. If, if they win the finals in 2022 or the full amount as of January 10th of that season. And then the other thing that makes it a little compounding on that and confusing is if they want to wave and stretch him, the Celtics would have that ability to do that. Um, and they, they would uh, wave and stretch unless they, they make the finals in 2022, 14.5 million, um, which would be stretched over a three-year period. So it'd be cap hits of four point eight three million uh, per year, and that's a way that they could create almost ten million more in cap space if that was the direction they really wanted to go in the summer of twenty twenty two. If they were, you know, going to go free agent hunting or anything like that, uh, that's a way that they can create that that additional cap space. But but that's what's going on with Al Horford. I've seen a lot of people say, no, it's only if it's Philadelphia. It's not true. It transfers uh, to the other teams, and uh, quite honestly. If Al Horford is on this roster all the next year, you'd be thrilled to pay him $26.5 million in 2022-23 because that would have meant the Celtics had one heck of a season uh, in 2021-22. 
I'd be I'd be fine with that if they make the yep. finals. That's yeah, it. Been, yep, I'm Absolutely. more than happy with doing that. Yep. And I know that when this deal happened, you were looking at the cap sheet and looking at possible ways that the Celtics could get to or close to a max salary slot for that free agency period. How would they need to, uh, sorry, what moves or maneuvers would they need to make to free up that 30 million ish that's projected to be available for yeah, the 2022 so, 23 season? Yeah, so th- this is where there's a big difference between max space available and what they, they, the more realistic space available uh, is, but this is why it was important for them to get kind of get off of that number uh, for Kemba Walker. So if they wipe out all of their salary obligations and Horford's only guaranteed at 14.5 million, they can get to 32.5 million in cap space. So now if you were which what we said, right, you could also waive and stretch Al Horford. That would add about $9.7 million, uh, back onto the books. So if you went, went that route, so now you're up over you know, $40 million there. But what that also includes is waiving Moses Brown, all right, not the end of the world, declining the team option for Carson Edwards if he's still on the team, certainly not the end of the world. But that would also mean you're declining team op, rookie-scale team options for Romeo Langford, Aaron Neesmith, Peyton Pritchard, and Grant Williams. Um, that's not all going to happen, right? The, the, those four guys have too much value to the team to simply decline their team options. And that would have to happen this uh, off season because rookie scale team options need to be picked up a year in advance. So that's not going to happen. What Boston would do in that situation is they'll pick those up and then they would look to find trades where they're sending those guys out to create that additional cap space. So a more realistic number for cap space in that off season is probably in the 22 to 23 million range, but that's enough where let's say, because everybody's dream target, Bradley Beal, uh, wants to come to Boston, you can use cap space plus some outgoing salary to match in a sign and trade. Yes, again, that would hard cap the team, but they'd be they they would be so far into the hard cap that it wouldn't really matter. Now, roster spots, boy, they'd have a tough time filling out this roster because you don't have very many guys left. At that point, you'd have Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and Bradley Beal, and maybe one of Pritchard, Langford, Neesmith, or Grant Williams, um, which that sounds great, right? Until it's, uh, you know, all right, now we got to fill out, you know, 12 or uh, 11 roster spots, and that gets gets really kind of difficult. So that, that'd be kind of interesting to see how they go about that. So it's probably more likely what you'd see is some form of, you know, sign and trade involving a bigger salary or maybe even Robert Williams or something like that to, to create the, you know, what they need to do uh, to bring in, you know, a major free agent. But, but now they have the flexibility versus having 37 million sitting on the books for Kemba Walker in his final season. I think we've hit on every cap question now that I've seen. Um, what we haven't, what we get to the fun part now, we get to the roster construction questions that seem to be floating around everywhere. Most primarily, if Lonzo Ball is not going to be your primary target due to the issues that we've spoke about with the hard cap and the restrictions it places on the team, then what point guard should the Celtics be looking for? Should they even be valuing a point guard at this point? 
my response has recently been Ricky Rubio. A lot of people don't like that because it's not sexy or glamorous enough of a name. Um, so I'm just wondering, is there any point guards out there that you think would be a viable option for the team that does improve them and fills a need? Yeah, I think Ricky Rubio is a decent target challenge. Is it's $17.8 million next year. So making that happen gets a little tricky uh, for the Celtics. Also, he is the only pure point guard um, on the Minnesota roster right now because uh, D'Angelo Russell is not really a pure point guard. Uh, none of their other two guards that are you know Anthony Edwards, Malik Beasley, Josh Okoji, um, th- those guys can't necessarily um, – slide over and play the two either. So it starts to get a little, uh, you know, messy for the Wolves on their side. Um, so I'll give you a couple of things that I think on, on this. One is I have no issue if it's Marcus Smart. You know, let Marcus Smart run the point, I think, in a lot of ways. He's a little bit better when that's his role on the team. Um, you're also adding some additional playmaking up front with Al Horford. Um, he's, you know, a guy, uh, Brad Stevens previously ran a lot of the offense through, um, every team he's been on has used him as a playmaker quite a bit. So it's not that he's a point guard, but you're, you know, offensively you're okay. Um, you know, even if you have slightly lesser guy, but a free agent that I love that I think they could get is TJ McConnell. Um, I think TJ McConnell is one of the uh, few pass first point guards that's left. Uh, in the NBA, there's really not that many. And that's people scream about going and getting a pass first point guard. And they really did that. It's just not as much of a thing in the NBA anymore. The one challenge with McConnell is he's not a shooter at all. He's a very reluctant shooter, but teams have figured out how to use him in ways where they use him on the move. He, he'll hang out kind of, you know, in and around the paint, almost like a big man in some ways when he doesn't have the ball. He's a very good cutter. Uh, he's a very good defender. He's a very, very, uh, you know, he's, he's a pain in the neck. Uh, and I mean that in every uh, you know, sense of the word as a compliment. Um, other options in free agency could be a guy like Reggie Jackson, if you wanted to go that route. Um, he's, you know, played quite well for the Clippers, has probably played himself into a good amount of money this year. Or Cameron Payne, who's done well for the Suns, is another option. I like the idea of TJ McConnell. He brings a bit of um, that Marcus Smart energy as well in terms of his hustle. Yeah. So I'd be happy there. Another question that seems to be floating around at the minute is, what are the Celtics going to do with this big man rotation? So is Tristan Thompson going to be the odd man out that needs to be part of a trade package? Or is Moses Brown nothing more than a throw-in that's going to be used as part of a trade package or waived? Have you got any thoughts on what you would do with the plethora of bigs that are currently, I'd say, bolstering that Celtics <laughs> roster right now? Yeah, I would. Um, Yeah, I don't. And some people have said, you know, maybe Al Horford's going to be moved again. I don't think so. I, I think that move was designed with the idea of he'll be on the team next year. But Al Horford at this point in his career, he's a guy in the regular season, you probably want him at about 24, 25 minutes per game with the hopes of being able to step him up into about 30 uh, by the time the playoffs roll around. I've seen a lot of people say, you know, he's not going to start. I'd be kind of surprised if he didn't start the way the roster is built right now. And, and, I, and I do want to couch it with this is June 22nd that we're recording this, we've got a long way to go um, before we see this final roster construction. But they're not going to carry this many bigs. Um, Brad Stevens referenced Horford, Thompson, Robert Williams, 
Moses Brown, and he even mentioned Taco, who's, you know, his contract's coming to an end here. The one guy I didn't mention is Grant Williams, who, in my opinion, is best when he's playing as a small ball five. So that's a lot of guys. Um, let's take Taco out of the mix because if he's back, he's probably back on a two-way, and that's, you know, that's that's fine. That's not going to change things all that much. So now you're talking Horford, Thompson, both Williamses, and Brown. Something's got to give there because Stevens is going to build this roster with the idea of playing one big at a time. Um, he made that very clear with his own comments as the coach last year. Um, he talked about Horford's ability to play the four some, um, but it was very just kind of thrown in there as a, yeah, and this is something he can also do. Um, so I think you're going to be looking at Horford and it's going to be the one guy I'm certain will be back. Then what you look at is Tristan Thompson at $9.7 million. Well, that's a nice number to go out and get something different. That could be a big uh, piece toward getting in a point guard, right, if that's the direction you wanted to go um, in a trade. Um, that could be something where if we said if they were going to do a sign-and-trade where you could start to uh, play with the math a little bit and make that work. Um, we're going to get a sense how much Brad Stevens believes Robert Williams is worth signing to an extension this offseason or is it better to move him along and get something there and thin out that big man rotation? And then I think Grant Williams probably sticks around just because his number is so small, 2.6 million. Plus his versatility is pretty good uh, that he sticks. I think Moses Brown will stick around because I think um, he, he played a little over his head with the Thunder last year. A lot of that was uh, just, you know, playing quite a bit on a team that was pretty terrible after they you know transitioned away from Horford. Um, but I think with Moses Brown, what we can really look at is that's probably a situation where if he's your third or fourth big, you're probably in pretty good shape. So, so my guess today would be Tristan Thompson is probably the guy who gets traded and moved along from. If not him, then I think second on the list would probably be Robert Williams, uh, just because no team knows his medical situation better than the Celtics do. And if they look at it and say, this guy's never going to make it more than 50 or 60 games in a season without getting you know seriously injured, then you know, let's, let's move on versus investing any kind of money into him in an extension. And that's the biggest question that everybody had with Moses Brown, right? Was this a move to give yourself a dynamic big man rotation in the next three to four years? Or is this because you don't trust Robert Williams' body to hold up throughout the regular season and be available during the playoffs? And that's a question that we physically just cannot answer. We can look at previous years and say Rob Williams has missed close to 100 games so far in his career, and that doesn't bode well. And then you can look at Embiid, who missed a lot of games early in his career, and that is still a very big part of his legacy's narrative now. So that Robert Williams one, to me, seems to be a very big sticking point on what they do with that with those bigs. Yeah, I'll tell you, Adam, the thing that concerns me with Robert Williams is we knew part of the reason he dropped in the draft was questions about his hip and back. And that is um, really concerning for me that those have continued um, throughout his, his time here. And it feels like everything else that happens with him is probably at least some level related um, to, to that hip back. Uh, problem that 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 he had and if that's the case that that's scary because 
if you're talking Robert Williams should not take anything less than 10 million a year in an extension because he's got that kind of upside. Um, so if, 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 you know, Boston thinks they're going to steal him on a super team friendly extension, that's probably not going to happen. And he shouldn't. But if you're the Celtics side, I don't want to commit a dollar more than that per season, just because that starts to become an albatross. If this guy is somebody who, you know, can only play, you know, 20 minutes a night and, you know, can only play in, you know, uh, 60 games a season or something along those lines, that just becomes really, really difficult. I, I love Rob's potential, um, but I go back to if you're not able to be on the court, then what, what, what good does that do? That potential doesn't ever get realized. So that that's where it becomes really kind of, kind of tricky. Um, you know, as you, you really work around, um, that kind of stuff with, with Rob. So that alone says to me, he could be part of a trade package. Now he only makes 3.66 million next year. So that's not going to be a, uh, you know, Robert Williams alone gets you something great. But if you put in Robert Williams along with something else, now all of a sudden you could be coming up with a package that makes a lot of sense. And then the final question I've got around roster construction, and we'll let everybody carry on with their day, is basically if you're looking at this team right now with some of the young pieces that genuinely just don't seem to have much upside, Carson Edwards being a primary candidate there without being harsh to him what teams do you see being willing trade partners to be able to move off from some of these? And oh, I have two questions left. Sorry, this one and then we'll no, that's okay. Um, what teams do you see being willing trade partners to take somebody like a Carson Edwards or a Grant Williams, where it benefits them and the return isn't going to be negative assets for the Celtics? Are there any teams of that sort that would be willing to discuss anything with Brad? Yeah, let me start with Adam. If you want to talk roster questions, never apologize because I'll do this all day with you. Um, <laughs> I am happy to do it, man. You, you know I love this stuff. Um, yeah, so the teams that you're looking at, um, oddly enough, Oklahoma City, right? You, you could you could say to the Thunder, you know, hey, you want another second-round pick to take on Carson Edwards? And if they're like, sure, let's make it happen. You know, absolutely, that's, that's, that's an easy one. You're kind of just looking at those teams that project to have a lot of cap space and potentially, you know, opportunity for roster spots and, and those kind of things. Um, Charlotte could be a team like that uh, where you might be willing to, you know, they might be willing to take, take on uh, Edwards. Um, maybe the Knicks because they could do it and still have – they could do it, wave him and still have a ton, ton of uh, you know flexibility there. I don't think you're going to see Boston unless it comes down to it's the end of training camp and they're already over the cap and you know it's not going to change much. I don't think you're going to see them straight wave Edwards because they would rather move him off the books um, and not eat that $1.7 million um, if they can avoid it. So, so for him, his market isn't – unfortunately, it's not as much about him as a player as it is about him as a uh, salary slot for the Celtics side. Other teams may look at it and say, you know, if you're Oklahoma City and it's, yeah, we could use another guy in the backcourt and, you know, we'll give him, you know, 10, 15 minutes over a couple months and see what he looks like, then absolutely you could see it coming together that way um, for for them. But that's that just gets a little – you know, all right, what's this going to do um, with him? Grant Williams, I think, is in a very different situation. And I know he's a very polarizing player among Celtics fans. But Grant Williams is not a bad basketball player. People get too caught up in all the things he doesn't do, and they don't look at the things that he does do. He's 
pretty good when he plays as, as a small ball five. Um, he's, he's fairly uh, quick at that position defensively. Um, he's not going to block a bunch of shots, but his positional defense is phenomenal. His passing isn't bad. He's a very streaky shooter, uh, but overall his shooting is not bad. And then he has shown at times the ability to duck into the post and make things happen. Um, so this is not just a give him away kind of thing here. Now, you're not getting anything great back for him, no. But if you started to look at things like, all right, we're going to put Grant Williams and Robert Williams into a trade – there's a bunch of teams that might look at and say, all right, you know, we'll take a flyer on that. You know, team like Houston could be somebody who says, you know what, we'll, 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 we'll do that. You know, we'll, we'll, you know, take, take those guys on and, and see what that looks like uh, for us. If, you know, or if it was a package where it's like, Hey, we're going to put a couple of those guys together to go trade for, uh, you know, uh, Eric Gordon from, from the Rockets. You know, you could see that you could see the Pistons um, be, being a team. You're really looking at teams that are still kind of, uh, rebuilding this thing, building it back up, maybe have room to bring on a big man um, that could play. You know, we, we could definitely see that. And what I think you could even see there is, you know, hey, can we swap Grant Williams for your point guard prospect to your little out on? Like one of the teams I look at uh, potentially on something like that could be uh, the Indiana Pacers. You know, could there be something for Grant Williams for Aaron Holiday? If the Pacers decide, you know, hey, we're we're we we need to add some front court depth, and we're going to move off Aaron Holiday, is there something that works there uh, for that? So I think that is, um, you know, something as we we look at it, that would make a lot of sense because I think then your uh, fear of the Celtics, you're you're just kind of you know moving them around at that point, um, you know, getting them off somewhere you could get a fresh start. But I think it's highly more likely Grant Williams sticks and stays on this roster because I think they like his front court versatility where you can you can play him alongside a second big just because he can do a few things on the perimeter. That's fair. Personally I'd really like to see Grant having some um some elbow sets run for him where you can utilize yes. that passing out of the post. Yep. I think that could be a good way to utilize him if he was at the four. And the final question I've got well, for you. One thing, can I say one thing on that too? Yeah, go um, ahead. Just because I think it's really important. I think if they both stick, Grant Williams and Robert Williams are going to benefit from being around Al Horford a ton because especially Grant Williams, because Horford, he was pretty athletic in his younger years, but for a long time, he's not been a guy who's, you know, been this, you know, super athletic monster or anything like that. He's not a huge shot blocker. He's, you know, a, you know, much more of a positional defender and those kind of things. And I think Grant Williams can really benefit from watching Horford, going against him every day, seeing how he's used in those kind of things. I, I think that you know, would be a big boon. And Rob's already talked about all the things he learned from Al. Um, and you clearly can see some of that in his passing ability. So, yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I like those sets, you know, you know, run a little bit of offense through Grant Williams, you know, maybe here and there. Um, and I think that could could work as long as you have enough shooting around him. I, I think you can definitely do some stuff because he's pretty good at picking out cutters and finding shooters from the elbows, as you said. Yeah, I think Grant's got um, a lot of untapped upside that we didn't see this year, but sophomore slumps are a thing. They're yeah. very prevalent in the NBA. So writing him off after a sophomore slump to me, could be a mistake. I've been guilty of being frustrated with him just as much as everybody else. And the last question I've got for you is the Celtics have multiple TPEs. They've got the Gordon Hayward one, the um, Evan, sorry, not Evan Fournier, Vincent Poirier, Ennis Cantor, and now the Kemba Walker one. I feel like I'm missing one, but I'm not sure. Um, Daniel Tice, that's the big one. 
the Daniel yeah. Tice one as well. Yeah. So when we're looking at these, how many of how likely would you say any of them get used before they expire? And which one would you say has the best available talent pool for the value? Yeah, so the Poirier one is mostly gone already. That one was used um at the trade deadline. So so they don't have much of that one left. Um, you know, we're really at all. Um, so just, just so we're kind of all on the same page on that one. Um, but yeah, so what they've got left is 11 million of the Hayward one, uh, 4.7, uh, Cantor. Uh, the Jeff Teague one is, 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 uh, very likely to, um, it, I haven't fully confirmed this yet, but I believe it was used to bring in, uh, Moses Brown. So there's not enough left of that. Then you've got the Tice one at 5 million. Um, that was created at the trade deadline. And then this brand new Kemba Walker one, which if the Teague one was used, that one's about 6.9 million, the Kemba Walker one. So here's the challenge though. The, the Hayward and Cantor ones need to be used um, basically this off season or they're going to be gone. Normally a TPE lasts a full year, but because last year the off season happened in, uh, you know, the, just before Thanksgiving here in the States, um, I know that means absolutely nothing to you, Adam. So I got to qualify that for you. Oh, it does. Um, it does. I get all the. I make sure everybody sends me the pictures of their Thanksgiving. Oh, I live yeah, vicariously nothing. for you guys. There it is. Uh, well, while you're at work on a Thursday, and we're all just hanging out watching football, um, <laughs> it's uh. So what I think ends up um happening there is, it's probably likely that uh, those go unused. Um, only because of the, the timing is going to be so weird for the Celtics to try to use them this offseason while re-signing Fournier, while potentially dealing with the hard cap and all those things. But it could be a way if they re-sign Fournier, that $11 million Hayward trade exception could be a good way to say, you know, hey, we can go get somebody now and bring in that guy and not let the remainder of that go go to waste the walker and tice ones are great tices can be used all the way up to the trade deadline five million's not a huge amount but that's enough to maybe bring in a helpful player and then the walker one at 6.9 million that's a good chunk <clears throat> to go get somebody <clears throat> excuse me that could be one where you use on a uh you know, second draft kind of guy, a first round pick that didn't exactly work out where he was before. And he's making, you know, 6 million and the Celtics want to take a shot at kind of rehabbing his value or something like that. You you could definitely see that one, but that one will carry all the way into, to, you know, to this point, this uh, where the trade was made just la- at the end of last week. So, so you'll have that one basically almost up to the uh, uh, start of next uh, off season. So, so Boston's got some, some stuff that they can do uh, w- with these trade exceptions, couple things with the trade exceptions. Cause this question comes up to me a lot. You can't add them all together. So it's not like you could take the Hayward one and the Tice one and the, the Walker one and the Cantor one and go get a player who makes, you know, 20, $30 million. Uh, you can't add them together. You also can't add them without going salary. <clears throat> so you can't have the <clears throat> excuse me, Adam. I'm getting all verklempt talking about trade exceptions. Um, because <laughs> it's been my life for a year. Um, you can't use the uh, you can't you can't add them without going salary. So it's not like you could take the Hayward one 
and Tristan Thompson and add it together and go get a player who makes, you know, $20 million. You, you can't do that either. They have to be used by themselves, uh, but you can split them up. Uh, as we see, right, the Hayward one, a large chunk of it was used to acquire Evan Fournier. Now they've still got $11 million of it left, uh, so you can acquire multiple players. You also can't sign a player directly with, with a trade exception. They have to be used to trade for a player or to um, – uh, claim a player off waivers. So that's another nice thing there. If uh, you know an interesting player gets waived that fits within one of those, Boston could use it that way um, if they wanted to go that direction. Uh, or you can use it to acquire a player via sign-and-trade. But as we talked about all the way at the beginning of the show, sign-and-trades hard cap you, makes it kind of difficult to work. So, so that's probably not overly likely that we see that happen either. Hopefully, hopefully, We've hit on every major question that has um, a bunch of misinformation out there. And we've been able to give some, well, I say we just because I've been here, but um, you've, been able to provide, <laughs> you've been able to provide everybody with some clarity. Keith, man, um, it's always a pleasure having you on the show. I'm sure the listeners are always grateful when you take time to jump on. Uh, from me, I, I feel like I always learn something when I speak with you. So um, just thank you, man. Thank you for jumping on and uh, spending some time with us all. And before you go, do you want to just let everybody know if you've got anything new going on or where they can find you, anything exciting coming up? Yeah, you can find me over at Celtics blog um, uh, there. I, I haven't been writing as much. I've been I've been doing a lot of prep work um, to get stuff ready for a, a whole series of off-season pieces um, that will be coming soon, hopefully as early as this week. Um, we'll, we'll get, I'll get some of those written and posted. Uh, after that, um, you can find my, my work if you're really interested in learning more about contract stuff and analyzing moves and those kind of things over at Spot track um that's where we're right you know quite a bit there and then every monday wednesday and friday i'm on spotify green room talking all things nba uh usually right around 5 p.m eastern um you can come in and as long as you're being respectful i'll bring you on stage and we can talk about whatever it is you want to talk about basketball wise we have a lot of fun in there i, I really highly enjoy it and what I will say to everybody is my rooms run from four until five on those exact same days. So realistically, you could get a good two hours of Celtics basketball, cap rate related basketball, whatever you need. And they can flow one after the other. Obviously, Keith's room is going to be better. But um, <laughs> no, I wouldn't no, say that. mine get a little bit wild, to be fair. Um, I just allow, I, I need to be more judicial with the amount of people on stage, but definitely check us both out. Um, as usual, if you've enjoyed the show, leaving a five star written review helps this show out enormously. It's also a nice ego boost for me. Um, if you're not able to leave a review, then just let your friends and family know, Hey, does, I love this Celtics pod. I think it's doing really well. It's got loads of fun stuff going on and that's a really great ego boost as well. And you will catch us again on Friday when I have no idea what we're going to talk about, but there'll definitely be something between now and then. Thank you again, Keith. Uh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Ain't disrespecting you hate is I ain't sweating your opinion. Y'all been testing my patience, never did it for a check. I've been impressed with the famous. Just rather be creative than stressing my wages. Ageless every time I lay a verse down, one play at a time. Keep it moving like a first down. And at the end of the day, I can say that I made this. MJ never made it to the major. Still, he chased greatness. Expected that he might fail. And I might too. I might never get to pop champagne. Celebrating with the crew. This ain't everything I am. It's something that I do.